Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. location this is the bruce exclusive and here's your host bruce nolan ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages welcome to another edition of the bruce exclusive a buffalo rumblings podcast i'm your host bruce nolan you can find me on twitter and instagram at bruce exclusive welcome back Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode, The Book of Bruce, that will help you lay the foundation for all of the opinions that you're going to get from me until further notice, essentially, until there's some data that changes one of the foundational principles that is The Book of Bruce. Pretty much that's what you're going to get. That's the thing that people like about me. That's the thing my wife likes about me. That's the thing my friend likes about me. They like the fact that I'm consistent. You know what you're going to get from Bruce, real name redacted. I've made the joke before that some people say, you can set your watch by Bruce. Nope, you can set a sundial by Bruce. That's the joke. But I'm consistent. And in the name of consistency, we're going to talk a little bit about where the bills go from here. I mentioned to you, that there was going to be a series of pods that we'll sprinkle in here as we get the offseason kicked off about where the bills go from here at specific positions. And today we're going to talk about guard, interior offensive line, specifically guard. This is a companion piece to a written article that I did on buffalorumblings.com. It was an opinion piece because when you're listening to this on Friday, The last day or so has been guard time on buffalorumblings.com. That's how we do it at buffalorumblings.com. We dump all of the information about a specific topic all at once. Last year, we had Jordan Phillips Day and bam, bunch of articles about Jordan Phillips. Here's the deal. Here's what the contract's going to be, we think. Here's what we think we should do. I was not well liked for opining that the Bills should not re-sign Jordan Phillips to the deal that I thought he was going to get on the open market, which he ended up getting. And today I'm going to opine again about what the Bills should do on the interior offensive line and specifically at guard. This has been a fairly hot topic of conversation, specifically since Brandon Bean did nothing to put out the fire. He said at his year-end press conference that the Bills want to run the ball more effectively, not necessarily more often, 
but he did not lay the blame solely on the running backs. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, he specifically said, no, I'm not going to put it all on them. From a personnel standpoint, if the running backs don't shoulder all of the blame, and it's generally agreed upon that right tackle Darrell Williams played well, Deion Dawkins played well, then the attention falls on the interior offensive line. And I understand that Mitch Morse had that weirdness toward the middle of the year where he was not benched per their discussions, but was a healthy scratch midseason because the Bills wanted to look at other offensive line combinations. That means the guard position ends up taking front and center in the discussion. So let's take a crack at some of the steps I believe the Bills should take this offseason to address guard. First off, Cody Ford, come on down. When Cody Ford was drafted out of Oklahoma, I specifically pounded the table and said he's a guard. There's people out there who didn't agree with me, but I said he's a guard. The Bills played him at right tackle during his rookie year and got below average results. Let's say it that way. And he opened the 2020 season at guard, which made me very happy before his year was derailed by injuries. So we still haven't seen a full, normal offseason of Cody Ford at the position where I feel his potential has the highest probability of being realized. I would anticipate that he slots in at left guard in 2021. And I support giving him another year to prove his worth. Now it's year three. It's time to put up a shut up. But when you have a development that has been delayed by playing both hurt and out of position, you should give him another year. I believe that Cody Ford has all the talent that the Bills saw when they traded up to get him. And I think that he can be a good guard. But let's get a full offseason at his ideal position, in my opinion, and healthy, and let's see what we get. The second thing the Bills should do at guard this offseason is give Ryan Bates the Ike Butker treatment. Ike Butker finally got a chance to play in 2020 after years of toiling on the bench and the practice squad. The coaching staff kept telling us about his versatility. Well, he's a five-man offensive lineman. And we just kept saying, I mean, they got to like him. They keep they keep bringing him around. And they finally got rewarded with guard play that was not abysmal this year for Mike Butker. If that's the case, it's time to see what's behind door number two. Ryan Bates had two games this season where he saw reasonable playing time. New England week eight and Miami week 17. And I went back and watched him before this podcast. And I liked what I saw from Ryan Bates. He has snaps at right guard, center, and left tackle. So I understand that the versatility, much like Ike Butker's, is a positive in the eyes of the Bills coaching staff. But given his profile coming out of college, which was good movement skills, less than ideal length, and the amount of zone runs that Buffalo ran in 2020, I feel like he should be given an opportunity to compete for a more stable role at guard. The next thing that the Bills should do this offseason in regards to the guard position is let John Feliciano walk. Now, I have no idea if this will be as unpopular of a take as my let Jordan Phillips walk take was, 
But Track currently projects John Feliciano's market value at $8.3 million per season, which is about double what he got from the Bills as an unrestricted free agent when he came here. Two years, $8 million. I understand that the demeanor is valuable. I understand the grit is valuable. I understand the run blocking is valuable. $8.3 million per season is far too rich for my blood. Well, Bruce, what are we going to do then? Well, if you listen to yesterday, you will note that one of the types of free agents that I like to sign is a known commodity on someone who signed his third, fourth, fifth deal. Enter Tom Compton. Tom Compton is a 31-year-old vet who's been on six teams already in his NFL career. Most recently, this year, he paid for the San Francisco 49ers. So, knowing that, who's Tom Compton? Well, he's a perfectly reasonable guard. He's not a great guard. He's not a bad guard. He's a perfectly reasonable guard. And... He'll likely command a contract at or near the $2 million average annual value range. Why? Because he's a known commodity. Teams know what he is. He's a stopgap, reasonable guard. I think he's a slight upgrade over Brian Winters, and he provides a vet stopgap with experience on a cheap contract that'll help the Bills shore up the position. The last thing that I think the Bills should do in 2021 to help solidify the guard position is draft one. The 2021 NFL draft has a few intriguing interior offensive linemen, and some of them could be available on day two, maybe early day three. I am a proponent of team trade down. Obviously, I don't know who's going to be there at pick 30 when the Bills draft. However, I am supporting, in theory, the idea that the Bills should trade down in 2021. Oklahoma's Creed Humphrey is a center, but much like Eric Wood was, I think he's someone who you could draft and play at guard until Mitch Morse is either departed from because the Bills decide not to value him anymore or his contract runs out. It should be noted that Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma is a former wrestler. So don't tell me that Sean McDermott is not going to be interested in him. I feel very similarly about Creed Humphrey the way I felt about Harrison Phillips. When I watch him play, when I look at his background, I think to myself, there is no way in heck that Sean McDermott's not going to like this guy. And he's a possibility as someone you could draft and plug him in right at guard and also have the ability to move him over to center and to the pivot position at a time when Mitch Morse is no longer a Buffalo Bill. And I think those are completely reasonable. That's what I think we should do at guard this particular offseason. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to hit a couple almighty takes. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. We're going to hit up some almighty takes. First off, Drew, I did get your email. I appreciate your email. Thank you for reaching out. 
I'm going to keep the conversation between Drew and I, but just know that I read it and I appreciate it. Evan says, Bruce, with the cap situation, many Bills fans are concerned about the offseason, myself included. I'm trying to talk myself out of thinking the 2020 Buffalo Bills equal the 2015 Carolina Panthers, which I'm sure isn't the case, but I digress. What we aren't taking into consideration is the salary cap crunch isn't due to cap mismanagement, but a pandemic slashing league revenue. This situation will affect the entire league, and some teams, cough New Orleans, cough, are in fact in a cap mismanagement situation. With so many teams forced to make hard decisions, the free agency market will be flooded and some players will be forced to do short-term deals with the hope of a massive payday after the new broadcast rights deal passes in 2022 or 2023. I believe the Bills will have a better-than-expected offseason. How that looks, who knows? It's going to be a strange ride until September. But much like I predicted on my main account in September that Josh Allen would blow the hinges off expectations this season, Brandon Beam is going to blow the hinges off the offseason. Evan. So, I think Evan's point is really well taken here. And the fact that the reason why the Bills are in a cap crunch a little bit this offseason is not because they did anything wrong. It's because the cap is like $35 million less than they thought it was going to be, depending on what your estimates were for the cap in 2021 under normal circumstances. And this does matter because much like a rising tide raises all ships, a sinking tide exposes them all to rocks. That's the opposite side of that metaphor and turn of phrase that you're used to hearing. There's only a few teams who actually have reasonable amounts of cap space. It's going to be fascinating to see how free agents respond to this particular market situation. The thing about one-year deals is there's not really a lot of places to hide the money. So one-year deal for $8.5 million is $8.5 million against the cap. Now, again, we're assuming you know no signing bonus and things like that, but it, it's just straight. There's no place to hide the money. There's less room for cap gymnastics and wizardry when it's a one-year deal. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens this offseason. I really don't know. I know you're sick of hearing the phrase unprecedented, but this is kind of weird. And so because of it, I don't really know what's going to happen either. Jacob says, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, O figment of my imagination. That's right. I'm just a disembodied voice in your head. I don't know when you'll be doing Almighty Ticks again today, but I wanted to share my thoughts anyway. If I had the time to compile all my thoughts regarding the Chiefs game and the draft, I could write a book. Not that anyone would buy it, mind you. It would be largely incoherent and rambling. So I'll do my best to boil this down, starting with the Chiefs game. After I had time to simmer down from not just the loss, but the way the Bills lost, I was able to look at this from a more rational standpoint. I think the Bills were a lot more banged up than any of us had thought or had liked to believe, particularly the wide receivers. Cole Beasley performing the way he did with a broken leg won more of my respect, and I suspect a lot of Bills mafias. That fact, plus not having true threats at the tight end running back positions and subpar guard play, resulted in Josh Allen being asked to perform in a situation that even Patrick Mahomes, a.k.a. Kermit the Frog, would struggle in. It was an unfair tilt if someone was looking at this game in a vacuum to compare Allen to Mahomes. Additionally, the lack of athleticism in the secondary reared its ugly head. The Bills got exactly what they wanted as far as Mahomes taking five to seven yard throws. 
but our cornerbacks and linebackers got burned by the elusiveness and the speed of Kelsey and Hill. We can only go so far with a bona fide number one corner and a platoon number two if we want to truly match up with Kansas City. Granted, no amount of defensive help will truly stop them, but the best you can hope for is to limit them and force a few stops. Something the Bills didn't do all night save the first drive. To me, both of the things outlined here were bigger factors than just McDermott not going forward on fourth down. I'm not even going to get into the Chiefs' dirty play and players because it made me more hot under the collar than I'd like to admit. Building off this into draft needs, I'm doing this now with the assumption that the same roster returns, which I know won't happen, but I can only act with the information I have now. Offensively, they have to run the ball more effectively, but not more often. Personally, I put the blame on the running game deficiency 60-40 on the interior offensive line play than lack of playmaking ability in the running back room. I would also like to see the Bills go get an explosive tight end and continue to develop Dawson Knox. Brandon Bean mentioned that Kansas City didn't have to worry about anything from the tight end position because Dawson isn't there yet and not where he needs to be for our offense to lean on to produce. Now, I know you're not going to like this, so I'm going to preface it by saying I 100% agree with the fact that RBs are the most replaceable player on the field because they're the most dependent on the offensive line for production. However, if they have an opportunity to get an explosive playmaker that checks all the boxes and can be a day one contributor, I'd be okay with them drafting a running back in the first round. To me, Travis Etienne is that guy. He has vision, contact balance, explosiveness, and great hands out of the backfield. Admittedly, I haven't seen how he is in pass production, but other than that, he seems like the full package. He can be used in the screen game, line him up in the slot, and he has that breakaway speed that we have seen so many times be deadly while playing the Chiefs. More options better than less options, am I right? Sometimes, it can be the difference between 10 yards and 50 yards. Additionally, I think if Bean sees Travis the way he saw McCaffrey as a sleep well at night pick... I can see the Bills getting Travis and targeting into your offensive line in the second or third, depending on their other priorities. I feel comfortable running it back with the wide receiver room and developing Gabe Davis, and Isaiah Hodgins is still an unknown. A healthy Bills wide receiver room is the deepest in the league and can get us to the Super Bowl. Defensively, I'd love to see them get an athletic cornerback to complement Trey. It'll be critical if they want to be more physical with players like Hill at the line to get him off his route. The other thing would be a big nickel to cover tight ends. The Bills were the second worst team in the league to covering tight ends next to the Jets. Let that sink in a little. I know Milano was hurt for six games this year, but that should tell you they have no one behind him that can. Getting a big nickel to specialize here would be huge. I'm actually okay with running back the defensive line because I think the absence of Star Latule was much more impactful than any of us thought it would be. Even with the poor play we saw early this year, their pass rush win rate was actually quite high. They got better as the year went along because they had to learn to play without a space eater. Insert star into this lineup, and I think Ed Oliver takes the next step. Defending the run takes the next step because Tremaine and Matt can get in gaps. He does so much that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, and I'm uncomfortable throwing away what they have without a full picture of what they could be. With that, I leave you here, Bruce. Thank you for your fantastic content, your logical thoughts, and thank your wonderful wife who sacrifices time with you so you can do this pod. I know my better half is truly my better half, and I appreciate the sacrifices she makes the same as you do yours. As always, let me know what you think. I appreciate feedback. Okay, I have a lot of questions. First off, how dare you suggest a running back in the first round on this pod? I hope you listened to yesterday. I hope you realize you're blaspheming against the Book of Bruce. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. I I don't want to draft a running back in the first round. I'm just kidding about the blaspheming part, but. 
Anyway, moving along, I understand the desire to get an explosive playmaker. The same way that you feel about Starla Tule on the defense is the way that I feel about the offensive line. If the scheme was better and Brian Dable got in the lab this offseason and was able to concoct some things that I think take a better advantage of some of the tools they have on the offensive line and you had better offensive line blocking, I would want to see what that looks like. So the same logic that you took with Starla Tule, I'm uncomfortable throwing away what they have without a full picture of what they could be. That's what you said. That's the same way I feel about the offense, specifically the running game. I'm uncomfortable throwing away what they have in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss without knowing, having a full picture of what they could be with an ideal scheme that's fully meshed with their abilities and some more talent on the offensive line. So that's the way I feel about that. In regards to the defense and athleticism matching up with Kansas City, I'm never going to turn down more athletic players in the secondary. Ever. I'm never going to do that. Give me all the athletes in the secondary. I believe that passing the ball and stopping the pass are the keys to winning in the NFL. And I think coverage is more important than pass rush. So obviously I'm going to be full team draft athletic corners and big nickels and all the day, all the day long. So you're never going to find a time when I'm not interested in that. I agree with you about the Bills wide receivers being banged up. I do think it's one of the reasons why the Chiefs corners were able to get so sticky in coverage. It's because everyone's hurt. You know, John Brown's been gimpy all year. Cole Beasley's got a broken leg. Game Davis is weird. So none of them were really fully healthy except for Stephon Diggs, who again kind of had a little bit of a banged up injury report. So I agree with you that that's absolutely a factor in this, much more so than we probably like to admit. I do think that there's a realistic chance that your initial assumption, which was run it back with the players we have now, will be very, very, very different. I don't know if John Brown will be back. I'm in favor of him being back, but I don't know if he will be because $8 million is a lot when you're crunched. My argument is, goodness gracious, you kept Trent Murphy for $8 million. I got to keep John Brown for $8 million? Really? That's a weird value proposition. But I think there's a reasonable chance he's not back. I think there's a reasonable chance Matt Milano isn't back. I've already talked about on this podcast that I personally would let John Feliciano walk. If there was one pending free agent that I would do my best to re-sign, it'd be Daryl Williams at right tackle. That would be my target number one as far as the Bills re-signing somebody. And this is coming from a guy who likes Matt Milano. And I like John Feliciano. But if I only can pick one, I'm picking Daryl Williams. So... I do think that a lot of this stuff is going to change based on which one of the players that we let walk actually walk. Maybe some of them come back after they realize that the market, as was discussed earlier in an almighty take, is a little funky. It's going to be more interesting and less predictable this offseason than anything we've experienced thus far. Because in the draft, you have a bunch of people who opted out. And in free agency, you've got a cap crunch for most of the teams in the league. This is going to be the most unpredictable offseason in recent memory. I cannot think 
of an offseason that's going to be more unpredictable than this one. But you can bank on this. You can bank on the fact that I'll have some opinions about the stuff and it'll be based on the book of Bruce. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Rumblings.